Dem Fatal, welcome to your Women in Science History podcast. Episode 20. Episode 20. The big two zero. Indeed. So yeah, this is episode 20, and it's also mid-October. Ooh. And so we're doing a little something spooky today. Um, I think we forgot to do this last time, but I'm your host, Emma Dilemma. Oh, and I'm your other host. <laughs> Emlyn Gremlin. Ooh, Gremlins Ooh, fit in well with Halloween. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I spent last night thinking of a lot of puns. Ooh. And then I've now all forgotten them in my... Like in- punkin? Like pumpkin? Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, ghost. Wait, that's not just a word. I'm trying <laughs> to think of a ghost a pun. <laughs> Um, we'll think of well. Once you get started, I'll try to think of Halloween puns mm-hmm. about this wonderful woman. This wonderful woman. <laughs> so we could destroy her. Another great scientist <laughs> memory yet again. She's super ghoul. She's super ghoul. We've got some nice booze huh? in front of us. Oh yeah, like, like- yeah. <laughs> It's so good when you have to explain (laughs) when it takes a second. I know. Wait, what? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't have any more puns. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this week is really loosely a Halloween theme. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Emma, do you know what you're going to dress up for Halloween this year? I don't. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Do you, uh, I haven't even thought about it. <laughs> Do you like dressing up and transforming into a another creature for the night? <laughs> oh my god. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> is that something um, that's fun? Yeah, that's you? I love to transform. One could say I love to metamorphosize. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um yeah, so thank you, Emma. <laughs> Um, so the woman we're going to talk about today uh, actually depicted and described over 200 different metamorphoses. Yeah. Um, do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Maria Sibylla Marion. Yeah, Yay! you got even the middle name. Yeah, yeah. I think. Oh, no, um, yeah, yeah. I, I know don't know how it's German. It, yes. I always have said it in my head, Sabia, but then I realized she's not Spanish French. or French or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you told me, like, a few weeks ago you were going to do a German naturalist, and mm. I was like, I know who it is. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. Yeah, she's so good, and I yeah. think she might be our oldest oh, lady. Oh, yeah. 1817. Oh, my God. The 1600s. Definitely, yeah, she definitely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. I mean, she's not still alive, but... <laughs> She's not 500 years old or 400 or whatever. But yeah, you know, I've tried to do... ancient her story. Yeah, ancient her story. (laughs) Just because you say... (laughs) Just because... 
We'll it. just <laughs> say puns, but spooky. So that sounds like Hall- Halloween like, puns. Oh wait, like Halloween <laughs> <laughs> or Hallastem. <laughs> Great. It's Good. not even. Won't we have another episode before, mm-hmm. like, yep. right before yep, yep. Halloween? <laughs> Good. So we'll have two just like this. Yeah, but. Only if you also do a Halloween. Okay. Okay. I'll try. Okay. I was reading, I was trying, when I was looking up stuff for the women who work, which I, I didn't find anything Halloween Mm -hmm. themed, but I, I looked up Halloween science news (laughs) and apparently there's, um, an asteroid that looks like a skull that might pass by earth on Halloween. (laughs) Nice. So that's some spooky science news for everybody. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, yeah, let's get, let's get, get into started. it. Yeah. This isn't, unlike some of our episodes, the topic isn't terribly grave. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write that one out? No. I, okay. <laughs> you just, that was on just the spot. Right on I the loved tip it. of my, <laughs> tip of my tongue. I'm still, uh, thinking of a good ghost pun. Uh-huh. And it'll, uh, I'll have one by the end of the ep. I promise you that, listeners. <laughs> They are waiting with bated breath. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Maria Sibylla Marion was born on April 2nd, 1647. Damn. To a family of artists and printers. Oh. Uh, and her f- father- That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Her father was Mateus. Mateus? Mateus. I don't know. It German. has like an umlaut. Oh, Matus? Ma- doesn't seem right. It's like- M-A-T-T-H-A with an umlaut. Oh, A umlaut. I don't know how to say that. It's like Matt Hose. Hose. Marion. Yeah. Um, The elder, who is a Swiss engraver and publisher, and her mother was his second wife, uh, Johanna Sibylla Henya. And Maria was her father's ninth child. Wow. So it's a big family. Yeah. And they're all in the printing industry. But I think it was a really nice way to grow up because it was a family printing. Yeah. And they were all kind of making art and doing the like engravings and publishing books. So she got a lot to, got to read a lot and see a lot of cool illustrations. That's really cool. Um, but then her father died shortly after Maria's birth in 1950. And in 1951. 1650. Six, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to do that a lot. If I say 19 anything, it's 16. I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> he, okay. lived, he lived 300 years. Ah, spooky Halloween. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. Uh, he died in 1650. She was an artist. Ooh. Like, just say everything spooky. Well, if you okay. lived to 300 years, that's pretty spooky. True, true. Yeah, yeah. Probably He's vamp. probably an undead of some type. Yeah. Cool, or cool, cool. Okay, that, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Just start if making he, yeah. things up. In 1650, he died. And in 1651, her mother remarried a painter, Jacob Merrill, who was well known for his flower and still life painting. And Merrill, her stepdad, encouraged Maria to draw and paint. Um, and Maria received her artistic training from both her stepfather and his pupils, Abraham Minion, which is a great, yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're a, a minion, if you're a yeah. pupil and your name's Minion, and Johann Andreas Graf. And all this training occurred unofficially, however, 
because throughout Germany at the time, craft guilds that governed each industry tried to minimize female participation. Of course. And excluded women from being either apprentices, journeymen, or masters. So weird. You can't have women in the trade, man. Yeah. However, wives were allowed to contribute to workshops when their husbands were in charge, and widows of a master could run a workshop for a limited time after his death. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Th- those are kind of the limitations cool. of women doing things. so my husband's things. dead. Now I They're can... going to take your business yeah. away from you. Yes. Uh, additionally, guild rules banned women from painting with oils, so they could only paint with watercolor. I wonder why. I don't... Oils are a man's thing. Oils are ghoulish. <laughs> like, foolish. Oh. I love Whatever. it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should stop. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> boo, boo. Yeah, we'll just boo if it's stupid. <laughs> and then that's Halloween theme too. Yeah. Great. And we'll say what a treat if we <sighs> like the bud. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Okay. Go on. Um, as part of her education, this unofficial education, her stepfather sent her out to collect insects to use as models. And at the age of 13, she painted her first images of insects and plants. Uh, from specimens she had captured. Oh, wow. And she also began raising silkworms. Nice. That's so cool. Yeah. And so regarding her youth, Maria later on wrote, I spent my time investigating insects. At the beginning, I started with silkworms in my hometown of Frankfurt. I realized that other caterpillars produced beautiful butterflies or moths, and that silkworms did the same. This led me to collect all the caterpillars I could find in order to see how they changed. Wow. And then at the age of 16, Maria married... Meryl's apprentice, Johann Andreas Graf, who I think was like 30-something. Oh, yeah, so he was cool. a, her stepfather's pupil. Apparently, from the beginning, they did not like each... Like, it was not a happy marriage at any point, it doesn't seem like. Oh, so why do you think it was just like, oh, this guy is my pupil, like, or was my pupil, so you must marry him? Kind of like an arranged thing? I don't... It didn't seem like it was an arranged thing. I don't know if it was that he, like, if he had his own workshop, she could, as his wife, kind of do things in there. I don't know. But it wasn't a terribly happy marriage, it doesn't seem like. That's sad. Oh, no. And then in January 1668, she had her first child, uh, Johanna Helena, and the family moved to Nuremberg in Hmm. 1670, uh, which was her husband's hometown. And while living there, Maria continued painting and working on parchment and linen and doing embroidery. So doing a lot of illustrations and, yeah. and art um, of kind of natural natural things. She first made a name for herself as a botanical artist in Nuremberg. And in oh, 1675, nice. she started to publish a three-volume series, uh, each with 12 plates depicting various flowers. Maria also sold hand-colored editions of this book, and it was called the Nuez Blumenbuch. Oh. <laughs> which is... Blumenbuch. The new flower book. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and then in 1976, she gave birth... Wait, bir- Blumen means flower yeah. in German? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. She gave birth to her second daughter, Dorothea Maria. And while living in Nuremberg... She also gave drawing lessons to unmarried daughters of wealthy families. Yeah. And I'm going to say... Okay, so some of this is from Wikipedia. Okay. And it says then in parentheses, her Jungfern Company. And then it says, i.e. Virgin Group. What? So, 
She's like, just, I was guess there, it's just... There wasn't like a citation for that nope. fact? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's just like unmarried daughters of wealthy families are assumed to be virgins, but it's like a weird... Yeah, maybe at that time there Yung was kind company. of... Yeah, a name for that kind of group. Yeah. Age of women. Maybe that's a direct translation, but in German... Yeah, I don't it's know. It's a little bit more subtle. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't look into it, but it was, like, interesting. Yeah. Teaching these young, uh, wealthy daughters helped her family financially and increased her social standing. Mm. And this also provided her with access to some of the finest gardens in the area, main, uh, which were maintained by the wealthy and the elite. Right. Where she could sense. continue collecting and documenting insects. So she had a cool. lot of uh, access to these lands. And at this time... Um, Maria's house was also filled with boxes, jars, and plants, and you, she used her kitchen as the laboratory, so she had, like, yeah. caterpillars everywhere, just, wow. like, jars and jars of caterpillars. Uh, so Maria was one of the first naturalists to observe insects directly, mm. and Maria collected and observed live insects and created detailed drawings. At the time, this was really rare because most people were drawing things based on specimens in collections. Hmm. Which you okay. know, yeah, which is don't necessarily accurately represent the coloration, and you know, yeah, or other the things. movement, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, in her time, insects still had a reputation as beasts of the devil. Apparently, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're sort of. I mean, people Poor are still like scared of yeah. insects. It's very odd. There's only a few deadly insects, yeah. but I guess we just kind of. Ha- get this, like, you think that's inherited, like, cultural knowledge, or do you think it's instinctual? I feel like, like, infestations of insects suggest uncleanliness. Right. And that might be a thing that either culturally or adaptively we've learned is unhealthy. Yeah. I don't don't know. I don't know. So she loved to draw devil beasts. Devil what are beasts. They called? Yes. Yeah. Beasts of the devil. Beasts also, of the they're <laughs> beasts, of, beasts of the devil. <laughs> oh, is that the Halloween part? No, I don't know. Oh. Sure. It's all part. It's oh, all the Halloween okay. part. Um, and, the, <laughs> and also the process of metamorphosis of these insects was largely unknown. Right. And while a handful of scholars had published empirical information on the insect, moth, and butterfly life cycle, the widespread contemporary belief at the time was that insects were born of mud by spontaneous generation. Right, yeah. Or, you know, a lot of organisms such as flies were born of meat or meat, something. Or yeah. things were born of water. And Maria actually documented evidence to the contrary and described the life cycles of 186 oh. insect species. Wow, from that's e- Including egg, which was something that most people... Like, I think there was a lot of... From caterpillar to... Butterfly or moth was relatively well understood, but not that many people actually made the leap back to... Yeah, eggs. like an actual cycle. Yeah. yeah. Instead of just a shoot. <laughs> like a linear... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So, while living in Nuremberg and Frankfurt, Maria would travel to the surrounding country countryside to search for caterpillar larvae. And she recorded their food plants, the timing of their metamorphosis, wow. and noted the behavior she observed. And it was not unusual for naturalists to illustrate their own research, but Maria was among the first professionally trained artists to illustrate her lifelong studies and observations of organisms. So that's what one of the things that sets her apart. And her drawings are incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll post some. Yeah. Yeah. Or post a link to, there's a, yeah. a lot of them that, I think they're almost all on the web. Um, okay. Uh, in the course of her insect study, she also recorded and painted the reproductive cycle of flowers from bud through fruit. Oh, cool. So she did, you know, not just insects, but also the plants. Yeah. And then in 1979, 1679. Oh my gosh. In 1679. I missed that one too. I was like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 300 Um, years later. (laughs) Um, So a year after the birth of her second daughter, Maria published the first volume of a two volume series on caterpillars and metamorphosis entitled Der Raupen Wunderbar Verwandlung und Sonderbar Blumennahrung. So is this before <laughs> or after Kafka's metamorphosis? Do you know? Ooh, um, so Kafka's metamorphosis was first published in 1915. Oh. So uh, hers Duh. was before. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm bad at dates. Hey, I didn't know either. <laughs> Could have been either way. I wonder if... I guess he probably Ovid's metamor- it, it goes Ovid did it first. Ovid's metamorphosis. I don't even know that. Oh, yeah. He is a metamorphosis. It's like it's poems in them. Oh. Uh, yeah. About God, pretty much gods who change and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Or gods who cause organisms to yeah. change. Anyways. I was going to ask if he was inspired by her work, but it seems like he'd probably just witness metamorphosis. Yeah. I mean, enough people at that time had probably witnessed Yeah metamorphosis and understood it i mean who knows yeah but um so yeah this translation is the caterpillar's marvelous transformation and strange floral food oh um and the result this was the result of almost two decades of observations oh my gosh and then the second volume came out in 1683 and each volume contained 50 plates engraved and etched by maria Wow. Uh, and along the illustrations maria included a description of the insects, moths, butterflies, and the larvae that she observed. So she also had natural history written with each of these plates. And this book was unlike any other book before it. Although there had been books before showing different stages of metamorphosis in insects, generally it would be like they have a chapter on eggs, a chapter on caterpillars, a chapter on adults. And she was the first one to actually show all the different stages together in like one plate to kind of show how they all are connected. Yeah, that's really cool. And yeah, no one had ever drawn an insect's full life cycle um, and their ecological connections, such as host plant use. So in these plates, she also had what host plants they would use. That is so like shocking almost. That no one... Yeah. Yeah, I think they just thought of them as very distinct. Like, yes, we know one goes to another... They weren't really making the relationship between plants right. and insects. Yeah. And according to Dr. Kay Etheridge, who's a professor of biology at Gettysburg College and who has studied Maria for quite a long time, says, The plates in these rich illustrated books were not only the first to depict the life cycles of insects along with their plant hosts, they were also the first to emphasize interactions among the species portrayed, the very foundation of the study of ecology. Wow. So she argues she's in her like thing that she's one of the of first ecologists, or the first ecologist. That's amazing. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's the study of the interactions between organisms. <laughs> yeah. And so Maria's book was very popular in certain segments of high society. Ooh. Uh, as a result of being published in the vernacular, which was German. Yeah. However, her work was largely ignored by scientists. 
of the time because the official language of science was Latin, which is... Oh, my God. As someone who studied Latin for eight years, why would you ever write? Like... (laughs) Yeah, I guess we have these we have these modern languages that yeah are easy to say and I still <sighs> wonder why we use Latin names for species except that it's just like historical I yeah. guess like I don't think not knowing Latin is prohibitive at all in that context no but they're hard to remember yeah because they're all they all kind of sound the same yeah. or are complicated and long. Talk to the talk to Linnaeus. Like, why not just like species one, two, three, four, five? That's fun. That <laughs> seems fun. Let's do that. Um, J.K. J.K. Wall. So Maria depicted in this new book, uh, "The Caterpillar's Marvelous Transformation and Strange Floral, floral Food." Mm. Uh, she depicted the physical differences between male and female adults. She showed wings in different positions and the different coloring on each side of the wing. Wow. She also documented the extended proboscis of feeding insects. And the first plate in her first volume detailed the life cycle of the silkworm moth. So among her most significant contributions to science is the pairing of each larval lepidopteran, which are butterflies and moths, which she observed with a plant on which it feeds. And she collected and kept these caterpillars and conducted experiments to confirm uh, her observations. And she noted, Caterpillars which fed on one flowering plant only would feed on that one alone and soon died if not provided for them. So she's realizing about host specificity, organisms being specialists. And she documented that some caterpillars would feed on more than one plant, but some only did so if they were deprived of the preferred host plant. So she also looked at host preferences. Yeah. And eventually, the importance of the host-plant association was recognized, and in the early taxonomy of moths and butterflies, the species were given names that reflected the plants on which the larvae were found. So, mm-hmm. so some of her work was very influential in how they... And she also detailed the ways in which larvae form their cocoons, uh, the possible effects of climate on their metamorphosis and numbers, their mode of locomotion... <laughs> their mode of locomotion and the fact that when caterpillars have no food they devour each other so <laughs> nice. also about cannibalism yeah that's cool and then in 1685 maria left her husband and her unhappy marriage and along with her daughters and her mother joined a protestant religious community in friesland i guess they were relatively strict on kind of your morality or like something huh. like that and i guess her husband tried to come get her a couple times and they wouldn't let him in Oh my, I wonder if he was, like, terribly abusive or something. I don't something. know. I mean, it's yeah. six, the 1600s, I have no idea. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so he wasn't allowed That's in. That's scary. They stayed there for three years, and Maria found, in this time, the time to study natural history and Latin, uh, which was the language in which these scientific ah, books were generally nice. written. Wow. Maria stayed with the community until her mother died in 1690, and then in 1691, she moved with her daughters to Amsterdam. Woo! Yeah, is that good? Like, I guess she just she had farther did, she did away. a lot of drugs. No, <laughs> a lot of drugs. <laughs> a lot of drugs. <laughs> Sorry. In 1692, her husband divorced her. Spooky drugs. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Wow. So they were still married, but she just yeah. she, she physically left him. And divorcing was like okay then. Holland. So in Holland. What was great was that women were allowed to have businesses and earn money. Hell yeah. 
And Always this, a trailblazer. <laughs> I know. And this allowed Maria to make a living for her family by selling her paintings. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. So in Amsterdam the same year, her daughter, Johanna, married Jacob Hendrik Harold, uh, a successful merchant on Suriname, which is a country on the northeast coast of South America, oh. which was a Dutch colony at the time. Oh, okay. During this time, Maria was exposed to many insect collections from the Americas and was transfixed by their diversity yeah. and beauty. And then uh, in 1699, at the age of 52, the city of Amsterdam granted Maria permission to travel to Suriname in South America, along with her younger daughter, Dorothea. And so on the 10th of July, the 52-year-old Maria and her daughter set sail. The goal of the mission was to spend five years illustrating new species of insects. Oh my gosh. And so in order to finance the mission, Maria sold 255 (gasps) of her own paintings. And this voyage was not only unusual for a woman in her position, it was unprecedented for any European naturalist to venture that far on an independently financed and organized expedition. Do you know, like, did she have someone to look after her other daughters, or were they much older um, at this point? So she had two daughters. One of them had was oh, married, oh. and she brought oh, her younger daughter okay, with okay. her, and her mother was dead. Gotcha. Okay. Um, she, oh, yeah, she's 50. Yeah. Okay, 52. so that makes sense. Yeah, her daughters are And I be looked like it eight. up, and I think, like, the li- like life expectancy was, like, 40. Yeah. So, so like, she's, like... It's all that nature. Uh, it's really good for you. So good for you. So, yeah, so this was, like unprecedented that not only was she a woman but she was also funding her own yeah. trip it was unaccompanied yeah it was she didn't have security and it's so brave i know and so before departing she wrote about the insect collections that she had seen from the americas saying in these collections i had found innumerable other insects but found that their origin and their reproduction was unknown it begged the question as to how they transform, starting from caterpillars and chrysalises and so on. All this has, at the same time, led me to undertake a long dream of journeying to Suriname. Aww. So she sold all her she belongings just wants and to go to this her tiny and daughter country. went. Yeah. Um, so Maria arrived in Suriname in mid-September of that year, and she worked for two years traveling around the colony, uh, sketching local animals and plants, including 90 species of animals, and 60 or more species of plants. Wow. She took the boat up and down the river past Caymans to explore the rainforest. So She questioned cool. indigenous people and paid them to bring her insects. Wow. They hacked paths into the jungle for her so that she could scramble through the tangle in corset and petticoat. Oh my gosh. She climbed up ladders to reach the highest branches and happily brought hundreds of caterpillars into her house. That is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> But then in June 1701, malaria forced her to return to the Dutch Republic. She was fine, but um, she had to go back. sick, yeah. Mm -hmm. And back in the Netherlands, Maria opened up a shop. She sold specimens she had collected and engravings of plant and animal life in Suriname. And in 1705, she published her magnum opus, Metamorphosis Insectorum Surinamensium, about the insects of Suriname. And this was in Latin. Latin. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Awesome. And so Maria and her detailed studies made several unique observations. And one of them that I thought you might like to hear is that Maria depicted and described leafcutter ants for the first time. Oh, okay. And she says, in America, there are large ants which can eat whole trees bare as a broom <laughs> handle in a single night. Yeah. So yeah, she's the first one to describe 
We've covered I didn't know that. In 1715, Maria suffered a stroke. Despite being partially paralyzed, she continued her work, but uh, Maria Sibylia Marion died in Amsterdam on the 13th of January, 1717. Wow. At the age of... 60-something? 70-something? She was born in 47. That's exactly 70. 70. Wow. She's old. Yeah. Um, and she was buried four days later at some German place I can't pronounce. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, her daughter, Dorothea, published some various works of her and collections after her death of various things she didn't uh, get around to publishing. Okay. So I've told you a lot about her. And one of the things that I was thinking was like, why don't I know her name? Like as an ecologist and maybe you as an entomologist, it's... Yeah, I've heard of her. You've heard of her, okay. But people, um, she, she might also be one of the first people to illustrate spiders or mm. arachnids. So she's people de- yeah, have like definitely... sent me okay. her stuff before cool. to be like, cool, this cool. is so cool. Yeah. Well, pretend you haven't heard of her. Most yeah. people haven't. But that's like. only because yeah. I study spiders. Yeah. Like, yeah. So some of the reasons why she isn't as famous as she should be is that one of the reasons is that shoddy reproductions of her work in the 18th and 19th century made people question whether or not she knew what she was doing. Weird. Um, So they were reproducing them poorly. And so things weren't accurate. Was some of it like the translation? I don't think it, I think it was the pictures. Oh, interesting. But in addition to that, the role of women in the 18th and 19th century Europe resulted in them not believing that she yeah. knew what she was doing and that her effort then became largely forgotten. And according to Dr. That's Etheridge, sad. she says, it was kind of stunning when she sort of dropped off into oblivion. Victorians started putting women in a box and they're still trying to yeah. crawl out of it. Oh my gosh. And then additionally, much of her writings and descriptions of the natural history of European species had gone lar- largely unnoticed by scientists. Oh. And this is because the majority of her work is written in German and has yeah. actually never been translated into English. Ever. Not even now. Or I think what what I was reading was they have condensed yeah. oh, to just little descriptions of what her, her pictures are. Yeah, but maybe but she not has lots of natural detail. Yeah, she had a lot of natural history that hasn't been translated. And so her documentation of insect reproduction and development, the effects of temperature and insect growth, the myriad details of lepidopteran ecology and behavior seem to have gone unlargely noticed by historians of science. And not cited and not yeah. used as references. So that sucks. Okay, so here's kind of a summation of the significance of her work. Because she's done, like, so much. So Maria's achievements include running the only known all-female scientific illustration workshop in Europe during her oh lifetime. And using the money she made from her scientific illustration to support yeah. her family and to fund research trips to South America. Which was unheard of. Yeah, that's amazing. And remember at this time, science was largely the pursuit of independently wealthy white men. Yeah. And Maria was even more remarkable in that she made her living from her science. Yeah. Most people were just spending lots of money to do science. And during her lifetime, Maria also described the life cycle of nearly 200 species of insects and amphibians. Mostly insects, but also some amphibians. And as a testament to her accurate and detailed portraits of life, uh, an entomologist who analyzed her work reported that 73% of her lepidopteran paintings are identifiable to genus. Wow. And 66% can be identified to an exact species. Oh my gosh. And this success rate for matching known species to painted images is super impressive. 
particularly when one considers that the identification of all insects in the tropics remains incomplete yeah. today. And likely some of those species have gone extinct. Yeah. And scientists believe that she is the only person to date to have recorded the metamorphosis of some of these species still. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Although her work focused on insects and plants, she also documented the metamorphosis of two amphibian species, which were by far Aww. the most accurate representations of amphibian metamorphosis at the time. <laughs> oh also, God. just like as a side thing. Yeah. And then Linnaeus and his followers also used Maria's depictions to name oh, at least 100 cool. species. Oh, wow. And according to William Stern, a British botanist, Maria was one of seven individuals whose illustrations formed the basis of most of Linnaeus's early taxonomy of tropical plants. Oh, wow. So she had really strong effects on Linnaeus. Yeah. And Maria not only pioneered images of plant-animal interactions, but she also showed detailed behaviors of small animals such as foraging ants and predatory reptiles. She elevated the importance of the role in nature of insects and other yeah. small organisms by showing them as life-size and as an integral part of their habitat. Oh, I love that. And almost two centuries before the German zoologist Ernst Haeckel, who everybody knows as yeah, an artist, right. uh, coined the term ecology, which I also didn't know that he termed the coin. I didn't know that either. Coined the term to the coin. <laughs> uh, ecology. Termed the coin. <laughs> Getting back to our spooky theme. Oh, so spooky. <laughs> uh, Maria published plates that depicted ecological communities. So yeah. even before it had a word, she was showing how everything interacted. Uh-huh. And because of her careful observations and documentation of the metamorphosis of the butterfly, she is considered by David Attenborough to be among the most significant contributors to the field of entomology. Aww. And then finally, according to Dr. Etheridge, she says... Maria's contributions often have been treated by historians as an interesting side note to the main pathway of events of her time, the study of systematics Mm -hmm. and the taxonomic organization of organisms. Right. A more accurate view of Maria's work would be to see it as a significant tributary feeding into a growing stream of knowledge, the one whose presence altered the the course of the mainstream by introducing ecological context. Yeah. By illuminating interactions among organisms and painting communities – Maria Sibylla Marion demonstrated that nature is most interesting when viewed outside of confined little boxes of collections and categories. Yay! So that is Maria Sibylla Marion. Oh, that's great. She seems amazing. She is, was, she was. Yeah. Her ghost is. No, I don't believe in ghosts. (laughs) Wait, so what about that was related to Halloween? Metamorphosis. (laughs) (laughs) Just. I said loosely. <laughs> oh, but there she did depict a spider eating yeah, a hummingbird. Right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? Just predation. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a spider. Yeah, right, right. Um interesting. Yeah. I was gonna try to make a squash pun joke. Mm, like she's mm. squashed all <laughs> uh stereotypes about women. Oh she did, she did. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't bat an eye at the conditions of the time. (laughs) Um, She ghosted her husband, I guess. (laughs) Finally got ghosted. (laughs) Promised I would do it. It's not really fun. (laughs) I love it. That's a very, like, lighthearted way to probably describe the traumatic (laughs) relationship they had. So good, good. Yeah, yeah. 
Awesome. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. I think we have to finish that. Yeah. Okay. We're done. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> work, 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 work. All right. So this is our segment, The Women Who Work, where we give some quick shout outs to current women in science making history today. Woo woo. Woo. So, um, Emlyn, since we last recorded, two women won Nobel Prizes Woo-hoo! in the sciences. Yay! I was hoping that you were going to talk about yeah. this. I mean, it's sort of an obvious choice, <laughs> yeah. but I kind of had to. Yeah. So. so first, Dr. Donna Strickland won a Nobel Prize in physics, the third woman to ever receive this prize. Nice. And um, a prize which was last given to a woman 55 years ago. Do you know who that woman was? Uh, Maria Mayer. Okay. I think is, I think that's her name. And did Dorothy Hodgkin get one in chemistry or physics? Chemistry. Okay. okay. Yeah. The only, the two women who previously won the Nobel Prize in physics were Marie Curie and Maria Mayer. All the Marias. Yeah. Okay. So this prize was given to Donna Strickland, Arthur Ashkin, and Gerard Moreau, for their work in the fields of laser physics. Nice. And specifically, Donna and Gerard developed a technique called chirped pulse amplification in the 80s at University of Rochester, the alma mater, their laser labs. So there's like a big, cool laser facility. They do a lot of um, laser stuff there. Cool, cool. So, uh, I've had it explained to me many times what goes on there, Uh and I'm always like, wow, and then I forget, like, immediately (laughs) I feel bad. Okay. But the technique that they developed, uh, chirped pulse amplification, essentially makes laser pulses shorter and more intense, and is now being used in corrective laser eye surgery and targeted cancer therapies. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Nice. So important work. So instead of going pew pew, they're more like pew pew Another thing about Donna that I've been reading about in a lot of articles uh, related to her getting the Nobel Prize is that like shortly before this, Wikipedia would not let her have her own page. Because she's never been promoted to full professor. She's Uh, an associate professor. Yeah. That's so stupid. (laughs) But now she has a Wikipedia page because she's a freaking Nobel Prize winner. Well, I also, maybe I just read a headline that, or a summary that was like, she's never become a full professor because she never, like, tried to go for promotion. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter, though. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the rules of Wikipedia, but I'm not sure why full professor is the only way you can Mm -hmm. get a Wikipedia page. If she came up with this technology that's used in, like, laser eye surgery. Yeah. That's ghastly. Anyway. And she's super happy to win the prize and... Looking at you. Please, I didn't even please notice. Valid, please validate my like, anyway. <laughs> Made eye contact with you. Okay. So yeah, she's happy to win the prize. She was surprised, and it's pretty cool. Okay. 
The second woman to win a Nobel Prize this year was Dr. Frances Arnold, who received a Nobel Prize in chemistry, along with George Smith and Gregory Winter. So she was awarded the prize for her discovery of how to direct the evolution of enzymes. And um, she's currently the Linus Pauling Professor of Chemical Engineering, Bioengineering, and Biochemistry at the California Institute of Technology, Caltech. Um, And she's the fifth woman ever to receive a Nobel Prize in Chemistry. Nice. And I know, like, Marie Curie won a a prize in Chemistry. Mm -hmm. Her daughter also won a prize in Chemistry. And she also won one in Physics? Yeah. Marie Curie is the only woman to have two Nobel Prizes in the sciences. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is there Um, a man that also has two Nobel Prizes? Linus Pauling has a Nobel Prize in chemistry and a Peace Prize. Doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) For his anti-nuclear war sentiments, doesn't count. Doesn't count. (laughs) I I don't know if there are other men that have received two prizes in the sciences. but This podcast isn't about men. We don't need (laughs) to know. I I just like Linus Pauling a lot. Should I say this out loud? Sure. Okay. The fourth woman to win the Nobel Prize in Chemistry won it in 2009. And her name was uh, Dr. Ada Yonath. And she won it for studies of the string function of the ribosome. Awesome. Pretty cool. Okay. And I think all the other women we've discussed who've won Nobel Prizes in the sciences. Yeah. Barbara McClintock, Rita Levy-Maltalcini, um, won it in physiology and medicine. We're slowly getting through them all. Yeah. I know. It's crazy that there isn't one in biology. Yeah. that Like, it's physiology and medicine. I'm going to get my pitchfork. covers biology, but it sort of means, like, ecology will probably never win yeah. a Nobel Prize. Or, like, environmental science yeah. or something. That's true. That's, yeah. That sucks. Um. Though Francis Arnold's work has contributed a lot to cleaning up the environment. Oh. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. Tell me. Tell so, me. So, right. She was awarded the prize for her work on the directed evolution of enzymes, which is a method similar to that of artificial selection. Okay. Like, so, you know, artificial selection is what we use to, like, select for traits in crops or breed, how I got my breeding animals. Yeah. Cute little Brittany. <laughs> My genetically <laughs> incestuous Brittany. Are you changing her name to Dragoslava? Uh, <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Um, but this, in this case, it's a little bit different because they induce mutations. So they take bacteria mm. and induce mutations in genes and look at um, in specific genes that code for a specific enzyme and then they look for traits of that enzyme that they're interested in and okay. select for enzymes that are, like, doing whatever function really well. Gotcha. So this is directed evolution. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. She basically came up with the procedure for doing this. Like, a lot of people were working on it at the same time as her, I think in the 80s or 90s. I can't remember exactly when. Yeah. Um, but she really like figured out the a great method for doing this, and that's why she's received this Nobel Prize. One application of this, and there are a ton of applications for this because it's basically made 
it possible for us to make enzymes mm-hmm. that function really well for yeah. medicine or any application, really. Where, um, if you don't know, enzymes are things that like catalyze reactions, yeah. essentially. For example, uh, Frances Arnold and her team engineered enzymes that break down cellulose in plants mm. in order to potentially turn agricultural waste into fuels and chemicals. Okay. Yeah. yeah so they could also try to do things that break down plastics. Right, yeah, exactly. Okay, that's cool. That's very cool. So they've also engineered bacteria to produce uh, different chemicals, essentially, or that they can have engineered bacteria to make. It's just a way, like, cleaner method of making those chemicals, from Mm -hmm. what I understand. Okay. So she's really interested in... Actually, she was first interested in biofuels, and mm. the study of biofuels, but there wasn't a lot of funding for that when yeah. she was starting out in her career. So she kind of has taken this other route and then now is applying it to biofuels and like environmental engineering or clean energy kind of uh, concepts, which is really cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Anyway. Okay. So that is like quick summaries of both of their work. But That's awesome. I'm providing links so you can read more about it. Yeah. yeah. I love it. That's wonderful. Yeah. All right. That's our episode. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> Thank you, Caitlin Friesen, for your beautiful artwork. We're slowly but surely posting all of um, Caitlin's femme fatale recreations of our stem fatale. They're very, of, they're very cool. They're very yeah. film noir femme fatale. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, thank you to Artichoke. And please, rate, review, subscribe if you like this episode, if you want to promote women in science or knowledge of women in science. Share with your friends. Please do. We now actually are using a microphone we have for the past couple weeks. So let people know (laughs) that it sounds better if they listen to the first episode and they're like, we can't do this. Yeah. Tell them they can and they should. You can. You can do it. (laughs) Um, Uh. And go... Stem. Stem. <laughs> never remember what okay, it is. Okay, wait, let's do it again. And Ste- go. Stem- <laughs> go and stimulate. Stimulate yourself. <laughs> I know. Okay. And go, go stimulate, stimulate yourself. By circa 1820, she ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for the building. And science was the